Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Arash's World. We have a very special guest today, Leonard Pohlmutter, also known as Ram Les. Uh, welcome to Arash's World. Thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation. Wonderful. So um, how are you doing today? Excellent. It's a beautiful, sunny uh, summer's day. Yeah, very lovely. The same here. So um, I'd like you to start off with introducing yourself in any way you see fit. Well, that's an open question. Uh, <laughs> it's the toughest one. All the other questions will be easier as we go along. Well, I, I guess I'm a philosopher. I'm a scientist. I'm an educator. Mm -hmm. And uh, during uh, the, the past few decades, I have been uh, very blessed by some wonderful teachers. Uh, and I now practice and have experienced through personal experimentation certain truths that uh, I am desirous of sharing with people because they worked for me. Uh, today, I'm not a kid anymore, but uh, even though I'm in the afternoon of life, I have more energy than I ever have before. Uh, I feel that I'm more creative, uh, more skillful. And so for me, it's been a, a great blessing. So I thought that I would share it with whoever has an ear to hear and an eye to see. Wonderful. I, I actually feel the same way. It's like I used to be older and now I keep getting younger and more, more like uh, get more energy and just like just the whole perspective is changing. And it's 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 quite amazing. I think part of it is maybe just naturally. But then the other part that's really important is to connect with certain uh, certain feelings, certain events, and so on. And we're gonna we're gonna get to that. You are the founder of the American Meditation Institute, um, short AMI. Now I teach French, so I really like that. Ami as as friend. Um, it would have also been good as Institute of uh, uh, American Meditation. I am, which would have been cool too. But I uh, again, um, uh, that's that's another thing. You you were a disciple of the Guru Swami Rama in the Himalayas. Um, he's also, I think, known for showing um, the um, the scientists that you can that he can control um, blood pressure and heart rate and so on. And uh, just to to I mean, I would not compare myself to him, but. Um, I've had issues with blood pressure. And ever since I embarked on the personal experience that you say, that personal connection with certain truths, I would say, has helped me to deal with it. And when I went to my um, uh, family physician, my blood pressure was perfectly fine. And she asked me, how did you do it? And then <laughs> that would be then just listen to this uh, uh, episode of Arash's World and we'll find out. So let's talk about that. How... Can, how did he do it? And what can we learn here uh, from him and from your experiences? His message was not about magic. Mm -hmm. His message was all the body is in the mind. And yet all the mind is not in the body. And what does that mean? It means that our greatest resource that any human being has is human thought. Human thought. Why human thought? Because human thought leads to action. I can't raise my hand without first entertaining a thought. And those kinds of actions, or even speech, 
lead to consequences that can bring us closer and closer to fulfillment, health, and reward, or can delay the prospect and instead we can experience physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual dis-ease or pain. So if, like myself, people are interested in good health and uh, a healthy mind, then they too will begin to work with their mind to coordinate the various functions of the mind so that instead of having anarchy inside the mind and outside in the world, they will have peace within the mind and peace and harmony in their relationships in the world. Having a sense of clarity, when I, but since that has happened where I see things clearly, it is so empowering because then you realize that a lot of the things you actually, you have a lot of control over many things. Again, not everything, of course not, but your reactions to things, your perceptions to things. And that often we are limiting ourselves and we're creating this, this prisons and we get trapped and it becomes a cycle. And for me, like the unconscious has been very important to, to, to bring it out, to deal with it so that we can free ourselves and connect closer to who we are deep inside. Absolutely. And, and what facilitates that? What facilitates that is relationships. Mm -hmm. So relationships is what frees unconscious forces that are a million times more powerful than good intention. Mm -hmm. It frees them from the unconscious and all of a sudden it comes into our conscious mind and we are consciously aware of a previously unconscious force. And once I am conscious of that previously unconscious force, then I can make a determination whether to serve it through speech and action and be led for my highest good, or I can learn to dance a different way with it. Instead of poisoning my body and my mind, I can transform that energy. We know in the fifth grade we've learned energy cannot be created nor destroyed, but it can be transformed. So why not transform the power of fear? Why not transform the power of anger? Why not transform the power of greed? It's certainly possible. It's not magic. What it takes is desire yeah and for for me it was really like suffering that kind of woke me up and without it we are kind of like living in a, in a comfort zone and kind of like walk around like zombies but it's that kind of wake-up call and many people don't see it that way and you, you shy away from it you run away from it you don't face your fears and for me it's like and that's how it started for me my quest there was this strong intense fear and I try to avoid it. It's like, I don't want to go there. But at some point, it's like, yes, I do. And it's actually not as frightening as we think. It's just like, once you go through it, it's unpleasant, very uncomfortable. I wouldn't recommend it to people, but it's necessary kind of like as, as, a, as a purge. And once right. you get rid of that, it's amazing how, how, again, liberating that is. And you get to choose, how do I react? You're not driven by those unconscious impulses. 
you can stop. You're not on the defensive. You can just say, okay, how do I react to this situation? And a lot of people don't have, my include, me, myself included in the past, didn't have that. We jump to conclusions. We want to attack others. And we just, this kind of pause really helps us to put it into perspective. That's absolutely correct. And that pause is very important. That space mm-hmm. between stimulus and response that the culture is trying the best it can to obliterate that space between stimulus and response. Because if we, if, if as so many people are, are experiencing, if there's no space between stimulus and response, then my thoughts, my words, and my actions are going to be predicated on my, on the limited perspective of my ego, senses, and unconscious mind, and I'm going to wind up in pain. But the culture says, oh, that's not so bad if you're in pain because I can sell you something that will take away the pain. I can shoot the messenger of pain. Mm -hmm. And that's good for the economy, you see. Mm -hmm. But if I can learn to become detached, and that can happen very easily through meditation, Mm -hmm. you, you begin to recognize that there's actually no no connection between one thought and another thought. You see? There's actually a space between the two. Mm-hmm. And if I can create a space between the stimulus and my reaction to it, that space provides me only one thing, freedom of action. Mm-hmm. So I can then redirect my attention in that space that I have redirect my attention from the stimulus to my conscience and ask the conscience, what is the thought to think? What is the word to speak? What is the action to take that will allow me to fulfill the purpose of life without pain, without misery, and without bondage? And this, this conscience is, is really amazing. It's like it's deep intuition. It's that gut feeling that knows the answers, knows what will happen before it does. And so whenever I listen to that, and you, it's, it's hard to recognize, but someone usually with practice, you get better at it. And whenever I've listened to it, even though it seemed like a disastrous thing to do, it's like the worst thing you can do, the worst thing you can say in this situation, it has had very good uh, effects. So I would highly recommend people do that to be in touch with that but the problem is i can see with with today's world with today's younger generations too is they don't have that patience because of technology evolving in my time with computers it would take a long time to load a website and so for me when there's it's lagging i'm okay it's not i don't freak out but i can see it with my son who's just very impatient it's like why is this taking so long and i think we're not helping ourselves with uh, with our technology, with like instant gratification and so on. And that's why I think, why, again, meditation is really helpful to, to, to slow down ourselves, our slow down time and our responses, as you're saying, our reactions to things. Yes, and, and the, the basic problem from, from my perspective is our educational system. Yes. Our educational system, although it can be wonderful and teach us many, many practical skills. It doesn't go far enough. Why? Because the only thing we're asked to do when we receive an education is to memorize. 
and pass an exam to get a diploma to get a good high paying job you see yeah mm -hmm. I'm an educator myself. And so, and I, I see those, those limits when, um, when students are trying hard, they're being creative and they don't do what they're supposed to do. And we're supposed to fail them. And I say like, look, what this person is presenting is actually much better than what the, the other people are presenting. So thinking for oneself and coming up with your own ideas is not really encouraged in the education system. No, we no, it's discouraged. It's discouraged. This is discouraged, exactly. So this is the correct answer, you failed, right? And I don't see education that way. For me, it's the wrong answer. If it's like backed up really well, is the right answer at the same well, time. Part of my mission is that I am dedicated to changing the educational system mm -hmm. to include an understanding of and a coordination of the functions of the mind. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I would like to discuss with you. Mm -hmm. the, the functions of the mind are critically important because, as I mentioned earlier, the mind moves first, the body follows, and consequence follows from, the, from that. So we know what we want. Everybody wants to be happy and healthy and secure. We want loving, nurturing, creative relationships. We want purpose in life. And why not? So how do we get to point B from point A? Well, we need a business plan, but no one has taught us a business plan for that, right? Yeah. And so I'm in the business of, of uh, offering business plans, a philosophy of life. And the key, the centerpiece, is our mind because it's our most powerful as aspect. Mm -hmm. and, and right now, as I mentioned, there's anarchy in the mind. Mm -hmm. You see... There are four primary functions of the mind. First that I've already mentioned is the conscience, and the conscience is the only decision maker in the mind. The conscience makes every decision, every choice we have ever made, every choice we will ever make, every choice we are making today has been, is, and always will be made by the conscience because it is the only decision maker. The other three functions of the mind that are loud and pushy and insistent, which have a very small perspective, are only advisors. They are lobbyists. But because they cannot make a decision, the ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind create tremendous noise in the mind. It's relentless. And when there's so much noise in the mind, when I have a relationship that requires an action that will bring about a consequence, the conscience can only hear the loud, pushy voices of the ego, senses, and unconscious mind. And on that limited basis, it makes the choice, often which brings about pain. But if we can train the mind to create a space between stimulus and response, to have the freedom of quieting the mind, let the ego say what its perspective is. Let the senses chime in what it 
feels is best for us. Let the unconscious mind weigh in. But after they make their presentation, let them learn to quiet down. And in that quietude of that even mind, then the conscience, which can act as a mirror, can reflect super conscious wisdom from the intuitive library of wisdom at the core of our being. The same portion of the mind where Paul McCartney hears beautiful melodies, where Albert Einstein saw mathematical equations, not that you're going to become a physicist, not that I'm going to become a songwriter, but for you and for me, when the conscience can speak it with a quiet mind, it can reflect perfect wisdom that is unique and beneficial for you and beneficial for me and all of the constellation of relationships that we have. Yeah, um, I had uh, Bob Thurman on uh, on my podcast and his book is Wisdom is Bliss. And I really like that, uh, that notion that it's wisdom that brings us bliss and happiness. It's not ignorance. And so, so that is not correct when people say ignorance is bliss. The more you know, the more wisdom you have, the happier you will be. And just I, w- go- I would say, though, I would say, though, unless you can put it into action. Yes, of course. And that's the rub in the yeah. face of, of yeah. this pushback from the ego senses and unconscious mind with, with the endorsement of the reptilian brain mm-hmm. clamoring for self-preservation and control. It's tough. We all have habits. Yeah. And, and uh, that's why it's critically important that we start with small, seemingly insignificant experiments. Mm-hmm. So... Food choice is a wonderful place to start, but maybe I'm not ready to give up a whole cookie. Well, maybe I am ready to give up a half a cookie (laughs) or a quarter of a cookie, (laughs) in which case not only will I benefit and be pleased, but the ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind will expand its awareness, won't be threatened by the conscience, won't be threatened by my inquiry and in fact will benefit from it. So it gains our trust. I liked how you're also saying that the loud noises in our heads and um, I, I've had that too. And so I'd take a walk, I would not hear the birds. And it's just like when you quiet it down then you listen, oh, I never noticed them before, but now I do and now I pay attention to it purposely, intentionally. And we do the same in conversations too. Often we don't listen to the other person because we want to respond quickly. And so in that time, as we're coming up with our answer, we miss what the person was actually saying. And we assume they said something that they never did in the first place. We we think it's a ping pong game or or we're we're already planning what our next volley is going to be, right? We're not even listening to them because I know what I want to say and I know what I want to convince. And it's not chess because the the, the other one is important. It's just... (laughs) So you bring up a very important point, very important that I talk about quite often. And that is, it's not about manipulating the chessboard and the Mm -hmm. players on the chessboard. It's about what? Optimizing the mind of the chess player because all the actions we take begin with a subtle action in the mind. 
Yes. So you have your five easy steps. And so that's to make the, the nation you're uh, talking about uh, the United States and we have um, uh, Independence Day coming up. So again, that's very important. And in the constitution, the founding fathers, I think have really some, have, have found something very important when they talk about a more perfect union. I love that because it's not a perfect union because perfection does not really exist. Or if it does exist, then we've already moved on and we're in a different plane of existence in our lifetime we're striving for perfection and so more perfect we want to become more perfect beings i think that's really our goal so let's talk about those five easy steps oh um, yeah that yes. would be wonderful well the first step is the law of karma the law of karma simply states that thought leads to action that's verbal as well as physical and that leads to consequences mm -hmm. yeah. Makes okay. perfect sense. that's the that's the first we have to realize that mm -hmm. the second thing that we have to realize is that all reality flows from the subtle to the gross if it appears in the world it has first appeared in the mind so the chair we're sitting you're sitting in and that i'm sitting in first appeared as a thought in a, in the mind of a human being would that be close to like plato's ideas i'm just thinking of as the ideal chair and then there are other forms that exist yes of course but where did where did plato get it plato got it from these these sages from ancient india mm -hmm. So, so all reality flows from the subtle to the gross. That's why, that's why consequences comes from actions and words, and actions and words come from thoughts. Yeah. Thoughts are subtle. Yeah. Actions, words, and consequences are gross in the world. Mm -hmm. So all reality flows from the subtle to the gross. And the amazing thing is once you change that thought, it changes the whole perspective and everything and the reaction of others. So it's it's kind of that choice is do I get angry or do I smile? And it's it seems like minor, but it, it will be a ripple effect will be felt and it you're creating a completely different outcome. That's right. That. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. Third step. <laughs> Third step is to rely on our conscience 24-7. For every thought we think, every word we speak, and every action we take. Now that seems to me hard. I mean, you say they're easy steps. That seems to me hard. <laughs> well, the highest principle in all of life is a Sanskrit word known as ahimsa, non-injury, non-harming, non-violence. Because essentially, every relationship that we have is with ourselves. Yes. We think that we're separate, but that's a limitation of my brain and my senses. Mm -hmm. Yes, you have a different body. Yes, you have a different mind. Yes, you have a different personality. But all of those are subject to change, death, decay, and decomposition. And yet the same I amness, the same consciousness within you is within me. That's why Jesus, speaking as the Christ, says, love thy neighbor as thyself. Not because it's a cool idea, 
but because on the highest level of consciousness, your neighbor is yourself yeah. with a different mind, a different body, a different set of habits. And Freud had difficulties too to to grasp that Sigmund Freud. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But he made contributions. I, I don't have, I don't uh, you know accentuate the positive mm -hmm. and eliminate the negative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So we need to use the conscience as our guide twenty four seven. That's the third step. And you say it's it's not uh, uh, easy. It's not easy. But that's why we have to remember Ahimsa. To not take on too much too soon. If I've never exercised mm -hmm. and I go to a gym and they give me this weight that's about 200 pounds, am I going to try to lift it up? No, because it would hurt me. I've never done anything like that. I don't have the muscle for it. But if I, if I want to build muscle, I start, maybe I'll just start with the bar. Mm-hmm. And if I can do that for a week or so, then I can add two pounds. And then maybe I'll add another two pounds. And within a couple of months, I'm lifting substantial weight, building muscle, and I'm not hurting myself. So as I mentioned before, in a food choice, I don't have to give up uh, a cookie, but maybe I have to give up a half a cookie or a quarter of a cookie right now. Yeah. And if, if I can do that, I'm providing a pleasant experience for my ego, my senses, and my unconscious mind. And they recognize that, oh, maybe this conscience is not so bad. Yeah, yeah that, that kind of positive relationship with, uh, with our actions, with what we're doing. And so I find like a lot of diets are very extreme and you're suffering and you're depriving yourself. And so it, it's not fun. So you no. won't continue. And the same with meditation. I know, I know people who uh, want to meditate five days a week, right? And they say, I only get three days. But it's with the gym too. You do three days of gym work. That's pretty good. It's better than nothing. And you I say, if you want to learn to meditate, it. meditate for one minute, yeah, one exactly. minute. Yeah. And if that works for you and you have a, a good experience, add another minute mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And, and uh, what is meditation in action? What does that uh, exactly well, mean? Meditation is action. Is, is that's, action what, that's the meat and potatoes of life. Mm -hmm. That's about action. Mm -hmm. Meditation in action is about recognizing I have a relationship that will bring about a consequence. Mm -hmm. It uh, trains me to create the space between stimulus and response that provides me the freedom and the time to check with my conscience to coordinate, coordinate the ego senses and unconscious mind so that all three are working in concert with the conscience as opposed to opposed to the conscience. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's why I like the term mindfulness so much, because for me, it's like being mindful is, uh, is a lot of things. Whereas like meditation is often just limited to the act of sitting still, meditating, and that's it. And um, uh, there is not that connection with the action. That's why I like that term. And so it just reminds me when I was a teen, I wanted to become a Buddhist monk and go to bed and just meditate and get enlightened but then I was like well what's the point of that I want to have it here in this life in this world where I live and be able to share it like you're saying at the beginning to share it with others like Bodhisattva that is what I'm more interested in than just you know reaching a high state 
uh, of mind and I'd be happy, but everybody else is not. So that's, again, the Buddha started like that. It's like, you know, trying to spread, spread the good news here and the, the experiences that one has. That's right. Mm -hmm. But it does begin with going inside and relying on our own inner wisdom to make the choices that we make in the world. And we don't take on too much too soon. Yeah. So after we recognize that we need to use our conscience as our guide, then we have to coordinate, coordinate the four functions of the mind. We have to teach. I have to parent. I have to become the parent of my ego, senses, and unconscious mind, which means I have to welcome their limited perspective to support them and yet not let them dictate what the outcome is going to be, you see. Yeah, kind of like if, a child. We we raise them with love. We have patience with them, but we right. don't do it to ourselves often. We just want quick results, and I think right. that is that is the problem too. Why why people run towards towards drugs and why there's addiction or other kinds of addictions too. I mean, it's like a kind of escape, but uh, it's it's not helping. It's not dealing with the issue. And for me, it's uh, I think it's really important to to find out what is causing this suffering, what's the root cause of it, and deal with it. And instead of jumping to uh, medication and uh, drugs and whatever else escape uh, people use these days. Well, meditation is very valid because it provides us the tools for meditation in action, mm-hmm. mindfulness in action. Without the tools, yeah. we're going to just veg out and, mm-hmm. and we're not going to do what has to be done and we're not going to not do what's not to be done. So we need the tools for meditation. Chief among them is one-pointed attention, as opposed to multitasking, which is impossible, which, yeah. only, which only depresses uh, the immune system and depresses yeah. the mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But one-pointed attention is the point of genius. That creates the space between stimulus and response. Then I can become detached. Yeah. Then I can access inner wisdom, this intuitive wisdom. And the more that I do that, I build the muscles of willpower. <laughs> so those tools are, are a tremendous asset in the midst of every single relationship that I have that requires an action that brings about a consequence. And uh, one of my issues was emotional eating. So that was my addiction with food, as you're saying, and I couldn't stop. And I I thought I couldn't stop. And then I tried intermittent fasting. And to me, that really helped to gain that control. And now it's it's quite easy to go without food. And I don't crave it as much. And I'm not drawn towards it. I still enjoy it very much and uh, probably too much still. But it's that kind of sense of control. I don't have to respond to that stimulus of hunger. And often it's not just, it's not hunger itself. It's just anxiety. And you try to deal with it by eating it away, you know? So, yeah. Right. Yes, it's the same thing as going on vacation yes. or, uh, or reading a good book or, yeah. go, you know, uh, going to Vegas or whatever, whatever it happens to be. Buy, buy a new pair of shoes. It's a little vacation but you're always going to come back to the same mind mm-hmm. and the same habit patterns and the same pain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so prayer is important and it's also for atheists. So prayers is not just for religious people. Can you explain right. that a little bit? Sure. Well, in meditation and yoga, we're talking about 
self-reliance. When, when, when I go within, listen to the wisdom of the conscience, reflecting the intuitive library of wisdom at the core of my being, that which the Christians refer to as Christ, you see, uh, uh, I am becoming self-reliant. And that's the key, is to become self-reliant, not from outside uh, uh, influences, undue influences, but to trust yourself and experiment with that wisdom. And that's the key. Yes, yes. And it, it, it has the effects and they've shown it uh, gratitude, prayers and all these these kind of um, has have positive effects because they are positive feelings that we can uh, we can nourish in ourselves, we can practice, we can we can grow. And, and even atheists and, and even atheists, atheists yeah. have yeah. a self. Yes. <laughs> and that's it. Yes. You can forget about the concept of G.O.D. Mm -hmm. Nobody's saying that you have to believe mm -hmm. in G.O.D., mm -hmm. you see. Yeah. We don't need to believe in G.O.D. Yeah, like trust yourself, yeah. but trust yourself and experiment with that intuitive wisdom of yourself. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. That is that is very true. And so um, your approach, which I like very much, is because it combines philosophy, psychology, as well as science. And it's approved by science. You're backed by science. And you have a lot of... Um, uh, health professionals who, who take your, your course, uh, Five Easy Steps, and uh, it's for credits too, and they can use it. So I, I think it's wonderful that this is not just some idea there that you're teaching or some philosophy. It's a mix of all of these things, ancient okay. wisdom with today's modern technology and uh, right. we, medicine. We, it's even that certain. combination is perfect to me. Yeah. These courses are, are uh, certified by the American Medical Association, mm -hmm. which, if you remember your history, was begun as the voice of the pharmaceutical mm -hmm. uh, industry. Yep. But now it has grown and it realizes the need for meditation and all of these allied disciplines to help the mind heal the body. It, it, there's a wonderful quote from William Osler, who is said to be the father of modern medicine. He was one of the founders of Johns Hopkins University oh. in the United States. And he was, he was one of the first people to bring the students out of the classroom and bring them into the hospital in a residency program to train them in real time. And Osler said, don't ask what kind of disease the patient has. Ask what kind of patient has the disease. <laughs> yes. What is the mind of the patient? Mm -hmm. Because therein are the seeds of disease of the body. Yes, yes, yes. And it's, and it's, it's only really recently that we are talking about that mind-body connection. And I've heard like talk about different brains. So we have in our gut, in our heart, in our, in our head. And I, I think that's really important, a kind of holistic view of like, because with medicine, it's just like you try to isolate like one thing. This is, this is the disease and you forget everything else. About, you even forget the patient. 
You just to try so, to attack that disease. And it's, it's not, that's why it's not working. It's not as effective because you need to look at the whole and try to come up with, with a solution for that. Because the same thing with, with uh, blood pressure, it's like take these pills, but then it will cause other issues and then take those pills for the other issues. It's a vicious cycle. And it's so much easier to deal with it in many cases, again, not all, but to, to really get to the root cause of it. And once that is solved, and I am living proof of that, it fixes a lot of your issues. And I That's think right. good health, as you're saying, we are neglecting the power of the mind. But placebos show that. There's evidence. That's right. That's right. You're, you're evidence. taking a placebo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it has nothing in it. But if exactly. you think it, it does. You know. But instead of being like conned, if we can use that to heal ourselves, you know, and be aware of what we're doing and not just thinking we're taking a pill that is just water, but um, actually like healing ourselves. And, um, and I think there's a lot of doubt. A lot of people doubt the power that they have and that control that they have over events. So um, would you say it's really meditation that can help us connect with that and build that confidence? Or how do you deal with things like anxiety and burnout? Because those are topics I'm very interested in myself. Well, you know, uh, in uh, ancient India, they had no word for uh, stress or burnout mm -hmm. or anxiety. Mm -hmm. They had a word called uh, avidya, avidya, mm -hmm. which basically translates as ignorance or the inability to see things as they are mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. rather than as they appear. So most of us are still stuck in Plato's cave believing that the shadows on the wall that appear are reality. Yeah. It's not so. No. It's just not so. No, no, definitely not. But then they, they, they don't treat the person well who comes back and tells them it's not so. No, no, not at all. <laughs> it's killed in, in the game, in the myth, I believe, yeah. Because they're afraid. Yes. They're afraid. Yes. So what would be non-truth? Would that be it, where we're just in that cave and we take it as reality, but it's not? Would you say that's non-truth? Yes, that's right. A lot of people are in that uh, position. That's right. Yeah. that's right. Because, you know, essentially, if the truth be known, we are human animals. Yeah. We are animals. We're bright. We're cunning. We're manipulative. But we are animals. So we have this reptilian consciousness still with us that separates us from one another. Mm -hmm. And it's crippling mm -hmm. and it's ignorant. Mm -hmm. But when you realize that really there is no space between me and you, I can annihilate the space between the two. Mm -hmm. And when you annihilate the space between the two, what is there to fear? Whom is there to fear if there's only one? So the first great freedom you experience is the freedom from fear that's exactly it i think i think a, a lot of it a lot of hatred or come it comes out as hatred is really fear that's and it. it's um it's if th that is the main problem so how so we want to move from fear to what you're calling super conscious wisdom yeah. and can you just again reiterate for us what is super conscious wisdom in in your own words how would you say that it's the intuitive wisdom that resides at the core of our being in this intuitive library of wisdom that is accessible by every human being 
through the conscience, through the conscience, and it can access it to know the thought to think, the word to speak, and the action to take that will always lead us for our highest and greatest good. What a wonderful uh, reflection here. And uh, thank you so much for putting it so clearly. Um, I just want to remind everyone. So Leonard Palmodar, who is uh, Ram Lev as well, and uh, the founder of the American uh, Meditation Institute, Ami. Is that yes. correct? French? <laughs> Me? <laughs> Friend. And um, you have also your own books. You have uh, the book called Your Conscience, uh, The Heart and Science of Yoga. And uh, you also have the journal, and we can see that uh, for those who are, are watching YouTube, Transformation. And um, yeah, so what exactly is uh, Transformation here, your, your journal? How would we, what kind of um, articles do you publish? What do you deal with generally? Well, it's a journal of yoga science mm -hmm. as holistic mind-body medicine. It's about education for enlightenment. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on Arash's World Learner. Uh, such an honor, such a pleasure to have you. And for thank you for sharing all your insights, your wisdom, your knowledge. And uh, again, the, the course is Five Easy Steps, and uh, it's with the American Meditation Institute. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you.